the net has been uh, uh, an, a great um, season. When I say the word the net, I have two things that go off in my mind. Uh, the net is the, the Luke 5 imagery that has been something that I've been doing since I was probably in high school. And when I think about the net, it's something that I'll be doing until I go be with the Lord. And it's Jesus coming to me when I'm at the end of my rope and saying, throw it over one more time. And uh, and next thing you know, there's an abundance, not because of what I've done, but because of what he's done. And it's in that moment, he says, come follow me. I want to make you a fisher of men. And I've been following Christ now since, uh, since I was a young man. And I pray that I we continue to be faithful to do that for the rest of my days. Um, there's two groups of men that I've met in, in uh, New Life, and we spent a lot of time in the last couple of years having conversations around barbecue and campfires and coffee, and uh, there's two main categories of men that I observed just visiting with guys like you and you, is that there's men that are ready to be caught in the net, and there's men that are ready to cast their net. There's guys that are discouraged and they need a place to come to just be encouraged, to get back up on their feet again. And then once they do get encouraged, then they say, wait a second, how do I be a good husband? How do I be a good father? How do I be a good workman in the marketplace? How do, we, how do I be an ambassador for Christ in the area of influence? And that's where we need equipping. And so the net, is, it is a connecting place for men, but the vision for me uh, at, in the uniting, it's also a place of equipping to release you guys to go out in your area of influence. Last week, I was, uh, I think I shared with you, I was in Seattle, and I was up early having devotional time, and I was just reflectively reading through First Thessalonians, and there were several points just in my reading that really gripped me, but one of them was a line in uh, the first chapter that your faith is known all over the world. And there was something in that reflective reading that, um, that spurred a thought that I think the Spirit just prompted in me. And just as a little bit of context for some of you guys, a little theology of work and also if you were to ask Russell what's one of his maybe top 10 verses, I, you know, you guys, if you have your Bibles, you can look at it with me. But 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Verse 11. Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. To work with your hands to mind your own business and to work with your hands just as we told you to do so that your daily life will win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anyone. So often my ambitions are anything but a quiet life. And I've been constantly come back to this thing and again and again and again over the years What is my ambition, particularly in the area of my work life, is that my ambition to lead a quiet life so that my character 
would win the respect of outsiders. So if you go back to chapter 1 and verse 8, that your faith has become known all over the world. And I was reflecting on my trip to Seattle the week before. And I was on the job site running a crew of guys. I was at a warehouse in Kent, Washington. And then I was back up to Bellevue in a high-rise working with some executives. I had two more prospective clients that I was meeting with in Redmond. And then I met with a pastor friend of mine. And then I stayed the night with a family with a young man that I have mentored for several years. And I literally took that time, devotional time, and I wrote down the names of every single person that I interacted with over the course of that business trip. Christians, non-Christians, roughnecks on, the, on a loading dock, to the guys in the executive offices. And, and in, this, in the way the Spirit whispers, your faith has become known everywhere around the world. How was I a witness for Christ with those 29 people? Everything we talk about in the net and have talked about over the course of this year, for me, almost was in summary of what I experienced. How am I being trained and prepared to be a witness for Christ wherever God places me? And that's a question I would have for you guys tonight. Is that think about the areas of influence that God has placed you in. Starting first in your family. In your neighborhood. In your workplace. In the circle of brothers and friends that you have. Guys, I have a long history of battling very subconscious, deep in my psyche, of a sacred versus secular perspective I can articulate it but there's something in the difference of who Russell is maybe in the context of church life versus the context of when I'm out and what I saw and what God gave me a picture of last week during my devotional time is the work on the loading dock in Seattle with the guy that reeked from whatever happened the night before is no different than working with the men from within the net. Guys, I just want to charge you tonight with the question of how integrated is your life? Or have you compartmentalized your life for being a witness for Christ? This is this place, the connection not with hundreds, because you don't connect with a hundred. Most men that I know only have space in their life for one or two or maybe three meaningful relationships. That's it. That's all it is. But yet it's in the context of a few relationships that the one anothering happens, that we're mutually encouraged and we're strengthened and we're equipped because we've got a guy who's got our back. And how, what is your witness to your wife? Wouldn't it be interesting to line up all our wives and ask that question tonight? That'd be fun. And how about your kids? What if I was to go to your boss? What about your employees or vendors or customers? What about your neighbor? 
My neighbor's not here tonight, and I seriously doubt he'll listen to the podcast. And if he did, he'd probably just offer me a beer and say, that was funny. Three weeks ago, I had an incredible experience with my neighbor. I was off doing some of my work stuff around town, and Carrie texted me about 10 o'clock in the morning saying, can you come home? Scott needs jumper cables. Uh, Okay. I come home. And Carrie's like, something's not right with him. Can you go check him out? So I dig up the jumper cables. I go over to my neighbor's house. And I go up to his door at about 1045. My neighbor is a bloody mess. He's got a white Raiders hat on and blood coming all the way down his face. What the heck happened to you? He, he was like, the first thing he said was, well, there was a bear. Okay, <laughs> this could be good. <laughs> well, we get into it, and then he goes, well, I need the jumper cables because of my Jeep. It's stuck, and it won't start. Oh, great. What, wh- where is it? In the garage? Well, no, it, um, it's, well it's, it's over there somewhere. Can you go help me find it? For the next three hours... All I got out of him was it was on a hill like this. There was bob wire, and the Jeep wouldn't come out of the ditch. And I couldn't remember where I parked it. All I remember is on the back of my checkbook, he wrote down four numbers that happened to match four different, three different addresses, all within a three-mile radius. The guy lost his Jeep. After three hours with this guy, it was clear the guy had a concussion, and he wasn't right. His wife was traveling, the kids were in school, and I had an opportunity to spend with him. Came back later that afternoon because I had a lunch, and we looked for another two hours. Five hours with this guy, and we could not find his Jeep. The other thing we knew is that he walked home, and he was a bloody mess. We slept on it. The, The neighborhood drama among the few houses was escalating. That was interesting. As the wife's traveling, what happened to my husband, you know, that was fun. The next morning, we took another shot at it, went out about 9 o'clock, and way across the valley, at a hairpin turn, the Jeep had launched off into some scrub oak, and we found it. And we came up, and I stood there with my neighbor, who had collected himself and slept on it, you know, he cleared his head a little bit, and I would say it might have been maybe one of the lowest points in his life when he looked and saw that Jeep over there, and there were beer bottles in the back of his Jeep. Something to do with Ambien and beer doesn't make a good combination. And it was truly a low point. And I literally had to sit there for an hour and phone the tow truck, call his insurance company representing myself as him to get his jeep towed because he just wasn't right and he was literally crashing you get his jeep towed fast forward a few days his wife's home he's beginning to sober up realizes he has a concussion have a series of conversations and i'm praying like crazy how do i handle this guy and how, how do i how do i approach this Clearly, he's a non-Christian. And so, just the Spirit of God just deposited something on me. What about your sleep? 
Do you think your sleep is affecting other areas of your life? I know you're a great dad. You love your kids, right? You think your sleep is affecting your anxiety that's leading how you're fathering or how your husband. What would it be like? Can you imagine what it would be like for you to sleep? Russell, I haven't slept a full night's sleep in eight years. Wow. What's that like? Two weeks later, through a series of conversations, he comes to New Life Church. His wife, on Sunday, sees me on a run and says, thank you. I've been praying for years that my husband would come back to church, but it had to be on his terms. You guys, I, you know, that, that is such a sobering, humbling place. But literally, that is the place that God is inviting every one of you men to walk with your neighbors through whatever that is that they're going through. And you know what? I believe you are the men that have the kind of salt that can love men authentically, even at their lowest point. Tonight, as I was praying through this evening, this, uh, some of you guys had a chance to look at this. We'll have these for discussion afterwards. Um, one of my little uh, morning rituals is writing. I probably write three to 5,000 words a week. It's just something that I do. And I enjoy it, and I get up in the morning, and I read and reflect and write. And, and so this is one of those writings. And I was just praying through, you know, maybe tonight just to share some ideas around that. And this one particularly was because of the stories of a few of you men here appointed for abundance. Do we believe that God really has, I mean, we read these words, that I have come to give life and that it would be abundant? Do, do we really believe that? Do we believe it when we're on the top? Do we believe it when our neighbor is at his low? Do we believe it when the foreclosure notice comes? Do we believe it when we lose our job? Do we believe it when the stuff of life hits? This has been one of the harder years of my life. We started the net, and for whatever reason, in God's providence, from January till June, my income was shut off. I went six months without income. The Lord was doing something in that. Guys, I can sit here tonight and say that I was diligent at the work the Lord had given to me. And I went through 23 bid scenarios with projects, and I lost 23 projects. It's tough. But in hindsight, today, in the context for this tonight, is that as I look back at the relationship tied to the projects, every one of those relationships are still intact. And what felt like a curse 
might have been the Lord pruning and preparing me for something. Because I'm in a season of almost, I would call it abundance again. But it came because of the pruning that happened beginning of the year. Some of you guys, does anyone know what I'm talking about? There's another category for this phenomenon. And that's also discipline. How many sons are there in the room? There's six, eight. Wait, how many sons are there in the room? Let's see. Everybody, right? (laughs) Let's look a little deeper biblically to the work of the Father. Let's turn back to Hebrews for insight and instruction. Discipline, it's hard and it's painful. It might feel like the enemy's tactic to steal, kill, and destroy. But is it really? God disciplines us for our good so that we may share in his holiness. And then in verse 11, sorry, Hebrews 12, verses 10 and 11. God disciplines us for our good so that we may share in his holiness. And it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been what? Trained by it. This has been an extraordinary year of training for me. It's in the training that I am a son. And I've got a good father that loves me. But yet he wanted to see peace and righteousness come out of my life. But in a way that I would not have necessarily asked for. For any of you here tonight experiencing some extraordinary pain, maybe it's not a curse. Maybe it's because it's a claim that you're a son. Did you hear that? That It's a claim that you're a son, and God has in store for you an abundant blessing of harvest, of peace, and righteousness beyond what you can imagine. But there's no way you can see it in this moment. And that's why we need guys like us in our lives to remind us of that. The second thing which I alluded to a little earlier was the pruning piece, which comes out of John 15. And what's the whole idea behind pruning? It's in our greatest pain that often brings the greatest blessing. How, in the midst of whatever you're facing today or this year, how may be it a pruning, taking away of something that looks good because God is wanting to bring you an abundance more. This is not a health and wealth theology because I think you guys know me on that. I'm just sharing from the heart tonight in the context of a year journey. I've experienced a lot of your stories and many of the guys that are not here tonight because we've seen hundreds of men come through the net. And I've literally seen the strong guys come in and then they find themselves in some really tough situations. And I've seen the guys that are in tough situations come in and and then God has literally strengthened them that they are the strong men. And I think this is, this is the context 
of where we find ourselves that are we going to be the kind of men that do we blow in and out when that stuff happens? Are we going to be the kind of men talked about in Isaiah 61 that are like oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord to display his splendor? And are we going to be a forest of men of strength regardless of what storms come our way? This is not easy teaching, guys, but this is the reality of my year. And this has been the reality of the net. And this is the reality where I see a lot of you guys are at. So for the guys that are up, let's thank God tonight. Let's be men of gratitude. Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His what? His love endures forever. He loves you. And when you get that... You are more than a conqueror. But yet there are guys here that are facing stuff that they weren't facing a week ago or a month ago or a year ago that are down, and they need the encouragement. And that's the context for the net. So, is that good? So, oh yeah, there was an election. So, does that apply as well? circumstances outside of life what kind of men of character are we going to be in the midst of the things going on outside of our lives does that change who we are on the inside feels like it but does it let's be men that are rock solid and who we are comes back to identity guys how many sons are there in the room The hardship you may be facing tonight is not a curse. It is a claim that you are sons. And God has in store for you an abundance. Abundance that may come and will come by the the promises of God's word and harvest of righteousness and peace on your life. How many of you want some of that? Me too. So that's good. So guys, tonight we're going to break and let you guys chat a bit. There are, there are a few guys here that are really struggling with the whole election thing. I, I don't know if it helps. I just was up early because I was thinking about these things, and I went to Romans 13 and was responding to that and First Peter. The, the scriptures have some very specific things to say about government and authority. And, um, and so I circulated a couple of those. I'm happy to email that to you if that helps. It's not conclusive. It just deals more with the attitude of the heart for maybe, you know, your expectations of where we're at. So, so some guys may ask about the, the net and what it may look like moving forward into the next year. And, uh, and all I would ask you is just pray with me about that. Um, the success or the, um, I use the word success of the net. How do we define success in the net? It is the connection of life-on-life relationships. There are dozens, if not hundreds, of success stories of men connecting in the net. The net is, has been a success. Amen? So what it looks like and how we define measures of success moving forward into next year, you know, we need to pray through that. I will tell you, 
moving forward and the longevity of it is that there is a specific team of leaders that will be representative in 2013. And so my part to play in that, it needs to be more specific, if that makes sense. So, and I just need some wisdom around what that looks like. So Brady and Garvin, elders, full support. This is meeting the need in New Life Church, and it's exciting. So, but uh, if there's something burning in you for the men of New Life Church, then we need to talk. If you just like coming to hang out, then just come and hang out. That's great. It's awesome. It meets a need. But if there's something fired up inside of you, then that would be good for us to chat. So, um, and that we'll see what happens. Uh, the holiday season's a big night of rest. A big season of rest and reflection for me. And God's faithful. He speaks when we listen, right?